Welcome to The Fire Inside Her, the podcast where we explore the incredible stories of individuals who have discovered their inner fire on their journey to authenticity. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and I am so grateful that you are here. Life is a journey filled with unexpected twists and turns. And today's guest knows that better than most. Katherine Farkerson started her career as a journalist, weaving stories with words. Then she transitioned into the world of capturing timeless moments as a wedding photographer. But that's not where the journey ends. She took another turn on her path and became a coach, a life coach and a mindset coach. She's not just an observer of life. She helps others navigate unique paths. What's most exciting about this conversation for me is just how laid back and down to earth Catherine is. I learned what heart math is, and I think you will enjoy learning about that as well. And she just has a really wonderful way of how she explains what she does and her philosophy in life and just the art of life coaching. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Inside Her. Well, hello, everyone. Today is a special treat because I get to chat with and you get to listen to a mindset coach, Catherine Farkerson, all the way from Canada. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I am looking forward to this conversation. I want to start with the icebreaker question. And that question is, what is your favorite travel adventure story? Oh. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I have one that just popped into my mind. Since we're talking about authenticity, the most authentic one is definitely gory. So I'm not going to say that one. I'm being authentic here. So I want you to know that was the first thought I had and I spared you. <laughs> so now I'm going to go for something else that just randomly popped into my mind. So I used to be a wedding photographer and I had a dream job to go to India to photograph a wedding. And that was something that I had on my wish list forever. It's like, oh, if only, if only. And then I got another dream job, which was to go to India to photograph for an NGO called Plan Canada. So kind of like UNICEF. And so I was going to go over there and they had a opportunity to be in a Canadian magazine called Chatelaine. It's one of the biggest lifestyle magazines in Canada. And this was my actual dream dream. And the wedding was in March and the NGO job was in January and just at that time, India had come out with a rule that you couldn't go to India on a visa that you couldn't enter and exit as a, as a tourist within a three-month period. So basically, it was like, I either have to turn down the wedding clients or I have to turn down this literal dream of my life. And I refused for this to be my reality. 
And I was like, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a way. And so I kept going back to the Indian consulate in Toronto where I lived. And I was like, there's got to be an emergency visa. There's got to be, I can go as a journalist. Like I kept going back and I got met with nothing, nothing, nothing. And so then I went to the ambassador and sat in the waiting room at the embassy for, I think, a good 12 hours just visualizing myself like on the plane. I'm like, okay, I'm on the plane and I can see the Himalayas <laughs> out my window. And I sat there and, you know, I had talked about this leading up to it and people I had spoken to were like, just cry, you know, like just be in despair. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll think about that. And so I finally get brought into this room of the the guy and he's like, kind of like a big man behind the desk kind of guy. No softness in his face or anything. Like, <laughs> and, and I remember there were five of us in there and he would do each person case by case in front of everyone else. So I watched how he responded to the other people. And there was this one woman who right before me, so they all got denied, by the way, everyone before me was like, no, you can't go. And they, they got like kicked out of the room. And I was like, oh man, like, what am I going to do? And then right before me was a woman and she cried and he did not like that. <laughs> and so, so I was like, oh no, crying's out, crying's out. So she's off on the side, still crying. And he's like, next. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I go up to the desk and I sat down and I was like, ah, do you have a tissue? And he's like, for what? And I'm like, for her. <laughs> you know, the crying lady over there. And he's like, oh yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Really good idea. And as soon as he did that, I was like, I'm in. Like I've made an alliance. So he got to be the good guy giving her the tissue. And then I explained my case and I said what I was going to be doing with the NGO and that I already had a wedding to attend later. And could he give me an exception and an emergency status exception? And he said, no. And I was like, okay, okay. And he goes, that's impossible. And we just had this moment where we looked at each other. I looked at him and I was like, I know. And then we just stayed like that. And then he goes, okay, I'll have it for you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got to go. That's amazing. I love that. Which actually, thank you for sharing. It ties right into my next question. Because you are a mindset coach, it sounds like you've naturally been doing this for a while. Can you describe what embodiment is and how mindset and embodiment are tied together? Yeah. So in this context, I would say the embodiment is moving from the idea of something to be actually living it as though like I live it through my body. I am congruent with what I'm thinking. That would be the easiest way to to explain that. So people, especially in mindset work, people have ideas about how they should think, or I could think these important things or like, I know I just need to think positive. And we have this like whole running list of things that happen mentally, but then embodiment is when we're not just thinking about those things, but we're thinking like from those things, that we are those things. I love that. I think back to a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to deliver a TEDx talk. And we had a pre-session before with all the speakers and I was so nervous. I was like, 
full of imposter syndrome. I'm like, there is no way. I don't know how I ended up here. All these people have amazing stories. And they got up and started talking about our talk. And I was literally just, I can memorize anything for 10 minutes. I want to memorize the talk. I want to make sure that I say exactly what I've written down. And the coach got up there and she said, here's the deal. You guys are going to stand up on this red dot. There's going to be a big light shining in your face. And you need to embody your talk. And I was like, I have never heard that before. It was so foreign to me. And so the more she explained it is exactly how you explained it. She's like, you've got to live what you're talking. You can think it, you can try to memorize it. But if there's a disconnect between your brain and your body, it is not going to be genuine and authentic. Would you agree with that? 100%. And I would even agree so far as to say that we actually communicate such a small portion. I think it's 7% of our communication is through words and the rest is energetic through our bodies. And so if you're not embodying what's true and people know, they can feel it. So if you got up there and did your memorized thing, they'd be like, really great talk that you memorized. Like I liked what you said versus, oh, I really felt her up there. I really felt the truth of that story, which is always what we want when we're sharing such important things. Yes. I learned that and I've I've never let go of it. So for two years now, it really changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of ways. So how come our brains run roughshod over everything else? And why is it so hard to rein our thoughts in, in order to get in alignment because of the woods and the shoulds and the, I want to do this and I should just be positive and all of the self-talk that we give ourselves? I think that the main answer to that question is because most of our thinking is habitual and it's programming. And so we aren't really thinking It's actually mental activity, (laughs) which turns out are different things. So when we have all this mental activity, that's just part of the program we don't even hear most of what we think at all. Like it's just kind of going in the background. And so what goes, what runs is what was programmed. So from our parents, from our environments, from school, from friends, from trauma, all of these things. And so unless we have awareness of what we're even thinking in the first place, it's just very, very old. It's like dated material. How has your journey inspired you to become a mindset coach and kind of update the information so you're not stuck reading out of a 1980s textbook? (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, I think my photography had a huge part to do with it because when I used to photograph, it was all about authentic photography. So it was like, I didn't like anything that was posed unless the pose evoked a real moment. And my business was called Documentographer. It's all about documentary style portraiture. And so I was always looking to help people see themselves and the beauty in themselves and, and to be able to bring out the real person in a real moment. And even in photo taking, I can see when someone's not there. When people were looking at their wedding photographers, you know, looking at different portfolios, I used to always say to people, like, instead of looking at the portfolio of like the whole thing with the mountains and the, like the beautiful photographs, it's like, look in the eyes of their clients. Can you feel them? Like, are they comfortable. So I think that was the the skill that I like honed 
through the repetition of like, you know, 8,000 pictures every single weekend. Right. (laughs) You really got to work that craft. And then it helped me learn how to be authentic myself to bring it out in them. Like I needed to show up in a certain way for them to show up in a certain way. So now I see it as like a practice of what I learned in what I was doing and how it influenced what I was paying most attention to for the most of this period of my work. So eventually it turned into, I was like kind of coaching people and I was coaching other photographers and they're like, how did you do what you did with your business? And so it just naturally evolved into what I was discovering through my own personal journey and through that, which is that it always starts with yourself first, whether it's how I was showing up with my clients or how I was paying attention to my own thinking, you know, small things like, you know, you speak about the imposter syndrome. It was an art I had to learn to put myself in a position that would make me look a certain way in front of a crowd of people to get a certain shot. So like you, I would imagine with the firefighting, it's like your our natural inclination is to like run away from the danger. You have to train yourself to like go the other way. It's the same thing. I had to put myself in places that like, you know, you had to get over what I thought other people might think of me. It is just a really beautiful way to explain how you show up. And that resonates with me because I think about that, you know, any type of growth in my life, whether it be learning to lead in the fire service, which was 96% is 96% male dominated. You know, when I became a leader, I had to, I call it, put my big girl pants on and I had to, you know, put myself in a spot of authority, which was really hard for a lot of reasons. It was slightly intimidating at first. And then, you know, the more I did it, it got easier. But really, it was about stretching myself and pushing myself further than all those limiting beliefs told me. (laughs) Yeah. Before I shot weddings, I used to shoot for a newspaper, like a local, a weekly newspaper. And I would be sent to these events, like, you know, the film festival or something like that. And the journalistic photography business is also all male dominated. And I was in my 20s, late 20s. And so I was also really young. And I remember at the scrim, like there was no space for like a young novice female photographer. And I had to do the same thing. I had to like use my elbows and elbow my way in to like demand that I too can get the shot. Right. Well, and it's that I think, you know, not caring what other people think of you is so huge. And that's one of the biggest takeaways I've had in life that what other people think of me is none of my business. I often have to remind myself of that frequently, depending on where I'm at. But, you know, it's that, yeah, people may think I'm a bitch or people may think that I'm too aggressive because I'm doing exactly what my male counterparts were doing. Yet I had to push myself to that spot, not because any of that was true, but because it was my job to lead. Yeah. And how did you balance that, you know, in journalism as you progress through your career to where you are now of balancing that masculine and feminine energy? (laughs) That is a work in progress forever, I think. I want to say that the hardest part, I think, first, that what are people going to think that is easy to say, I don't care what people think. But I think we do care what people think, or we project onto other people what we think that they think, which is really what we think of ourselves. The mirror. The mirror. Yeah. So 
for me, before I even got into balancing the masculine and the feminine energy of things, I had to get over that fear of the imposter syndrome when I moved from being a photographer and into being a coach, because it was a completely new identity that I was putting out into the world, which I'm sure you can relate to yourself. I'm living it right now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, I had people saying like, in my mind, right? Like, who does she think she is? Like, she was a photographer and now she can coach, like, come on already, you know? And then I started to look at that. I was like, who do I even think is saying this, you know? And were people saying this? I think they were actually. But the part I was afraid of was actually more internal. Like they will say it. And when they do, it doesn't matter. So I agree. I don't really care. But then also if I don't overcome the fact that I still have energy in that area, it really could have held me back. I mean, I was like coaching in private for a long time. I didn't tell anybody. I had these one-on-one clients and I eventually I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get out there and, you know, get congruent. How did you do that? Like how, how did you listen to your authentic voice and your inner knowing and embody all of the tools that you help clients with to use on yourself so that you could show up as your best version and express yourself through that way and become a successful mindset coach? I did two things. The first thing I did is I put myself on the hook. So I think we let ourselves off the hook when we don't tell people what we're up to and when we let dates and guides be Mm loosey-goosey. And so I knew enough to put a date in the calendar where I was hosting an event. And I think I made it about six months away. So I gave myself a chance to prepare and and like build up to it, but I've hosted a workshop. And the significance of that was for me to mark to myself, now I have begun. Even in the sharing of this evolution, I wasn't talking about, oh, now I do this. It was like, I have a thing. This is what I do now. Come join is different than just like applaud me for my new identity. (laughs) So that was one way. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I did when I was growing my business, I moved from one-on-one coaching into a group model. When I got that first client that signed up for the group model, she signed up in September and I did the same thing. I had put myself on the hook that we were starting in the beginning of November I said, great, we're starting in November. I'll give you a one-on-one call in the meantime. We'll get you all set up. And then I said, there's a great group of women. You're going to love them. And she was like, great. Is there like a Facebook group or something where I can meet them? And I'm like, absolutely. It's just not ready yet, but it's coming. And then that was that. I was like, my mission became about creating what I had promised her that was in support of what I was up to. But by saying that to her, I had no option but to be successful. The way I was able to and still am able to really keep going through that imposter syndrome at another level, another level, another level, is that I have things that I care about living out in my life matter to me more than the milestones. Mm, Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. like What I have found with goal setting is that 
if we just think about the thing that's right upcoming, that next thing, it feels a little more dangerous where it's like teeter-totter. Like if I don't succeed in this, it means X about me. Or if not this, then what? Like is so much emphasis on the success of this milestone or this goal. Put it in a context that's much bigger, which the one that I like to think about is, okay, it's the end of my life. I'm looking back and how do I feel about how I went after these goals that I created in my life? Like, you know, will it matter to me that that thing didn't work or worked? Mm -hmm. No. Matter that I went for it? Yes. That is beautiful. It's, It's the difference between a scarcity mindset and an infinite mindset. If I don't get this, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, this is the end all be all and you don't see the forest through the trees. You you don't see the big long game of it's the tiny things that we do that create the bigger ripples down the road. Yeah, exactly. And even when the things don't go well, it's like, you know, when you first asked what's your favorite travel story, the things that came to my mind were all the things that like all the good travel stories are the mess ups. Yes. That's why I was going to tell you a gross one. <laughs> That's so true in life. And, and I think we're talking about it more, but I've learned a lot more from my failures than my successes. And it sounds cliche to say that. I think I'm learning that even more in an entrepreneurial world. It's the world I was raised in. We had very little margin for air. Obviously, we're dealing with life and death. Potentially, we're dealing with you know sick people and community members. And so I think I really, at a young age, adopted this perfectionist, I can't screw up mindset. And then I realized as I grew in my leadership journey that no, there is room for failure. It's when you're training and practicing and that's where you get it out of the way. And also there's a team of us. So if things don't go 100% as planned, more than likely there's a bunch of us to figure it out. And it definitely set me back when I was like, oh, but now I'm on my own. I don't have anyone else to fail, but <laughs> me. I was going to say. <laughs> so it's a little different, but I do try to remember that. And I always love hearing my guests, like what you said, you've just got to continue thinking the big picture. Yeah. And I think that the cliche about, you know, we fail our way to success and things like that, this is just my own personal opinion, but I I think that social media that's been happening alongside these types of journeys where the success is what we see, I think that there's often this actual belief is like, I'm absolutely okay with failure as long as I'm successful. So it's like, I totally believe that. Like, yes, you fail on your way to success, but as long as it doesn't happen to me. Right. <laughs> It's not genuine then because it's we're all going to fail and screw up. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's saying that. Right. But they're not showing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people really believe that they're actually okay with failure. That's a really good point. And to your point about social media, it's the same of, you know, I can show you how to scale your business to eight figures in six months. And, you know, that what it doesn't say or what I don't hear in those messages is, but it took me 10 years to be an overnight success. Exactly. You don't know what's happening. You only see people where they are, not what happened to get there. Which is really good. It's so important. It is. And I think it's also good for empathy and compassion to... Remember that, you know, that everyone has their own journey and who knows what every, anyone's been through. 
but more than likely there's probably been some hard times and some struggles along the way. So how have you learned to take care of yourself and what does your self-care routine look like with your coaching and your business and how do you take care of yourself? Oh, I spend a lot of time taking care of myself. I love to hear that (laughs) so much. (laughs) It's like sweet words, sweet words to hear. Yeah, I really have come to understand that if I don't take care of myself, I'm not of service to other people. Self-care isn't going to the spa. It's like actually for me to do what I want to do, I have to be healthy and really, really aware about what I need and what's going on inside of me and just basically to have a clean vessel, like energetically, physically. So I have a morning routine that I die by the sword by, which includes meditating and it includes some form of body scan. So I'm listening to what's going on inside of my body to see what I'm actually feeling and like kind of being in dialogue with myself. And then I've been a lifelong journaler. So this is something I teach about and I help people learn how to move from like diary writing into like self-coaching basically. Okay. So I really help myself with my journaling. And then I also have my own coaches to support me through breath work, embodiment work. I do heart math. What's heart math? Oh, this is exciting. I've never heard of that before. Well, I'm opening the portal for you. So heart math, it's a technique, but it's run by something called the Heart Math Institute. So if you want to learn more about it, you can just Google heart math. Okay. What you're going to discover after I share this with you is that you're going to see it runs through a lot of uh, the work of people that we know, like Joe Dispenza, Dawson Church. Like there's a lot of studies that people are backing their energetic work behind, all that are coming out of the Heart Math Institute. So it's a really incredible methodology because it is so backed in measurable scientific experiments to validate what I'm about to tell you. I love it. It's so amazing. So what they have discovered is that the heart has a brain and the brain is stronger than our brain in our head. And so our communication to our body, actually we do it incorrectly when we try to go from our head to our heart, but rather what we want to do is reverse the signal to go from our heart to our head. And so heart math is a breathing and visualization, I will call it, technique to get your head and your heart in coherence so that you have a rhythmic pattern in your beat to beat of your heart. And when that happens, it's when we're in our parasympathetic nervous system and we're able to be open to our intuition. We're able to be open to the messages from our heart. And when we're in a stress response, the heart rhythm is jagged, the connection is cut. And so originally, I believe, beyond the science experiments, heart math was taught to first responders. So there's tons of people who would teach heart math to people like you in the fire department. They teach the army. They teach ER doctors and nurses, people who need to be able to be highly, highly functioning in high-stress situations because you can't have your head cut from your heart and be able to make those life-or-death decisions that you were talking about. Right. I'm only scratching the surface of like its possibilities, but what happens is we have a field that is measurable outside of our body that when we're in coherence, we send out. And so you can create coherent signals with other people. 
with your pets, with your babies, all kinds of like consciousness raising on the planet when people are doing heart math at once. So it's a, a technique that can be used personally for yourself. So when I use it in the morning, what I'm doing is I bring myself into a state of coherence and then I set my emotions. It's like I'm putting on my clothes. I'm like, okay, I'm breathing in like the peace that I'm going to feel today. I'm, you know, I know how I want to connect with you on the podcast. So I do heart math before I sign in with you here. Like I put myself in a state that I can then perform in as the best version of myself that I can without it coming from my head. I love that. And I cannot wait to check it out as soon as we get done recording. So for those of you listening, (laughs) I will also put that in the show notes because that is fascinating. And I can't believe I haven't heard about that. Yeah. Well, you will see it everywhere now that you've heard about it. It's, I think it's one of those things like your reticular activating system is going to be like, just, oh my God, Harma, Harma. Oh, you know about Harma, Harma. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is it's so aligned with who you are, how you coach, how you lead your business, how you lead your life. I just think that's beautiful. That's like the gold standard that we're all, I think, should be striving for. And I think we all really want to strive for. How important is your community in all of this alignment as well? And how did you find your community to support you? Well, it's everything. It's exceptionally important. But what's interesting, as you were saying that, I have never been someone who likes groups. So, you know, in high school, I was never part of a friend group. I have a friend from different groups. And that's always been the way that I thrive. And so when you were saying that, I was thinking, wow, that's so funny because I didn't realize until this moment that my community is the exact same where I've like picked the people from groups that then make up my own like mosaic. So my community to me is not their community to each other for my personal life. Like my coaches, they came from different places, like different reasons for them being in my life, that type of thing. Then I have my collection of friends, same thing. They're not like I bring them together, but they're not a group. So it's interesting. I wouldn't say that my personal community, I wouldn't have used that word before now because they don't commune. Right. However, in my community that I have built, which is very interesting, I'm just having these revelatory moments as we're talking. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, is also everything because they are a community. So to me, they're my community. And I think that that has come from exactly what we're talking about today, which is like just I have run my business so authentically that I have attracted authentic people. And then they all fall in love with each other because there's a resonance of even though they come from different places and have different experiences and are different ages and all those things, they're not even in the same physical location. They feel a a bond that is always surprising them, which I find so much fun to see. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and that's the energy, right? That's the limitless possibilities of your energy and how you project. And I think it's also a testament to you as a leader and how you live your life because, you know, I think surrounding yourself with diversity in thought, backgrounds, religion, people, beliefs, and all of that is a beautiful way to thrive in life because it keeps you open. It keeps you challenged. It keeps 
you know, all the good energy flowing instead of getting stuck and stagnant to go back to the 1980s textbook, it's, you know, it becomes old (laughs) and it's the same thing. It's true. And it's interesting too. Now I feel like there's a lot of, again, like cliche kind of things that people say, like, um, I like to be with like-minded people. And when I hear that, I think, I wonder if we need to change that phrase because I don't like to be with like-minded people because then I'm going to hear an echo chamber of me back to me and we don't get that diversity of thinking. And what I do like is having like like valued people. My community is incredibly respectful of difference of opinion. And that's something that I think we need more of in this world. Like people just cut things out all the time. It's like, cancel this, cancel that, shut you down, block you. Like, what are we so afraid of? Can we not sit in the presence of someone who has an opinion we hadn't thought of? Yes. What comes to mind when you say that is curiosity over judgment. It's, you know, being curious instead of being judgmental and asking more and wanting to know more about why and tell me more about that. Those are really powerful phrases that can connect people. I believe that most humans have a good intention and are good in their hearts and you don't know their story, but humans have a lot to offer. And I think, you know, just what you said, it's, we are quick to shut people down for no reason because we're judgmental and probably need to do a little bit of inner work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's always my response. Like, oh, you haven't dealt with things, have you? (laughs) (laughs) You're just not there yet. And that's okay. I know we've been chatting for a while. I just have one more. Well, I have a couple more questions. But when it comes to mindset and how important it is to embody in all of the topics we've discussed, what are some of the limiting beliefs that women specifically have when it comes to mindset? Definitely, I hear about it's too late. There's a lot of that. Depend, like for people of a certain age, that can come up a lot. And also the comparison component of there's, if they're going to launch something or they have a goal and they look outside of themselves. And there's, so, there's so much of this, you know, like who needs another blah, 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 blah. So there's a diminishing of self that is there a lot. And also a sense of worth like deservability. Mm -hmm. I I hear that a lot too, that not worthy. Everyone's more worthy than I am. And I have to give a give a give to everyone else and meet everyone else's needs first. Those three items, do you feel that they're based in fear? Yes. Simple answer. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And I think it comes from the old programming. It's like, we're going to think what we think on repeat until we have something else to think. That is a very good way to put that. So how can my listeners find you to explore mindset more and a little bit more about your work and what you do? Well, I have a website, which is mindsetcoaching.ca because I'm in Canada. So that's where you can find out, you know, what's happening now kind of thing. And I run lots of little short programs and then I also run a year-long program. And so if people want to try something, they can come for a short program. If they want to really like do a overhaul of 
self or going for goals or wanting support for when there's faltering. So sometimes people want to come in for that launch feeling like I'm taking off now. And then other people know that when you take off, you have setbacks. And so you just like to set yourself up to be in a space where you get the support and the learning that you need as you go along. So it sort of depends on where people are at. And I have an Instagram, Catherine underscore Ferguson. Awesome. I will put all of that in the show notes. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing and such a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot and that always makes me happy. And I'm sure my listeners have learned a lot as well. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks. I'm so happy to be on this podcast and I'm so happy to uh, speak with you and your community. Thank you so much. Another great conversation. Thank you for giving the valuable gift of your time and listening to the Fire Inside Her podcast. Speaking of value, one of the most common potholes we fall into on the journey to authenticity is not recognizing our value. So I created a workbook. It's all about value. Head on over to thefireinsideher.com slash value to get your free workbook that will help you remember your value. Until next time, my friend.